You hear about developers paving the way to financial freedom by converting one home into two, three or more and you're eager to get a slice of the action. But there's more to know than knowing how to swing a hammer and loving interior design. Today, we're going to find out what you need to know before you even think about putting on your tool belt and put you in the know with some clever town planning advice for the first-time developer. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent and invest right. Your host is Sue Langda. Real Copyright is your go-to copywriting agency for real estate agents. We understand tight deadlines, Melbourne architecture and Melbourne's lifestyle culture. If you would like to know how Real Copyright can help you, contact Lisa on 03 5977 888 to find out more. Chelsea Cox is a passionate town planner from award-winning smart planning and design. She loves helping first-time or boutique developers save time and make money. Welcome Chelsea, how are you today? Hi Sue, I'm great, how are you? Yeah, great, thanks. Great, thanks so much for having me today. Thanks for coming on, it's always a pleasure to have a new face. (laughs) Now, Chelsea, how did you get into town planning? So um, I was back in, you know, high school. Um, I was a little bit unsure what I wanted to yeah. do and, and people start putting the, the pressure on to make those choices. Yeah. Um, so I started sort of broadening um, what I was looking at and, and really just looking for different things and going to the uh, the open days. And I was really drawn to town planning because it combines my two favourite things, so my creative side but also my problem-solving side. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really the, the essence of the job is, is creative solutions to get the best outcome. Yes. Um, so I enrolled and I've never looked back. <laughs> awesome. Now, for those who don't know, what is actually town planning? Yeah, sure. So there's two kinds of town planning. Um, there's what we call strategic town planning and statutory town planning. Yeah. Um, so the, the main work that I do, which I think is what we'll be focusing on today, is development approvals. Um, so when you want to develop something, um, most of the time you'll need a town planning permit through council mm-hmm. um, and town planning is the process of getting that development approval. Okay, sounds good. So what is its importance when it comes to developing property? Yeah, definitely. So because of the way the planning scheme set out um, and the different controls and regulations that are on different properties, um, buying two 800 square metre blocks 10 minutes down the road from each other might not be the same outcome at all. One, you might only be able to get a single house on. The other one, you might be able to get some apartments on it. Um, So it's really important to know what you're looking at from a town planning perspective before you buy a, a property to develop. Yeah, fair enough. Yes, that's what those... um the planning scheme's all about, isn't it? But then that's different. It can be also different again. Yeah, yeah, it definitely can. So it differs um, It differs within the different zones in the council and then um, every council has their own rules as well. Yes, yes. we don't like <laughs> different rules. Why do they make life different? difficult? I know, it, um, it is difficult. There's, there's push for a sort of unified planning scheme across the country, so maybe we'll see that one day. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. Now, what do we need to consider before buying a property for development? So we've already spoken about that they could be completely different even if it's the same size block of land, depending on the area. Yeah, so the first thing I would say would be looking at those controls. Um, So you'd be looking at the planning zones and also the planning overlays. 
Um, yeah. Also be looking for documents outside of the planning scheme that could impact, um, which I think we'll touch on a little bit later. Um, but yeah. then there's also the, the little extra things that could just push you over the edge. So I think the common one that a lot of people know is corner blocks are generally great. Um, and the reason yeah. for that is you can give each dwelling its own private access. Mm-hmm. But there's other little things to be aware of as well. So that can be trees. Um, and in some councils, there's no tree policies and you can just take them down. Um, but in other councils, one tree can ruin your whole block, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I sometimes I look at some trees and I go, oh, wow, they've been awesome one to, you know, it's an awesome block and it's a tree right in the middle of yeah. the front fence line and you just can't do anything about it. Yeah. Yep. Now, what's a planning scheme and how should we look at it to decide where to buy? Awesome. So the planning scheme, um, it is the Victorian planning scheme. So at the moment, yeah. Yeah, all the states have different ones. Um, and that is broken down into state policy and then local policy. So the state policy is the same across the whole state. Um, those are the sort of overarching objectives and all of that. And then yeah. each council has their own, their own policies. So their own zones, their own overlays and their own local policies specific to, um, to different areas as well. So if you're looking at the planning scheme, um, like we said, the first thing you'd want to look at is the zones and the overlays. And then another really important thing to look at is the local policy for that specific area that council has set out. So um, usually within a council, they'll have a suburb or two where they're trying to prevent development and they want to leave it as is. And then usually they'll have a suburb or two where they're really pro-development and they want it. So you'd really be looking for those local policies to see where you're likely to get an approval. Yeah. So like when you see in those in the ads, which, you know, obviously I write, um, you'll see GRZ2 or GRZ3 or you might see it NRZ1. Um, They're all the zones. So NRZ1 is generally it's standard housing blocks. You might be able to subdivide it if it's over 600 square metres, but still you have to get the council approval, um, whereas a GRZ1 and 2, sometimes it means you can develop to three or four storeys, that sort of thing. Absolutely. A general residential zone is generally a little bit um, more lenient than the neighbourhood residential zone. Yeah. For me, if I'm looking at a property for a client um, and they say, oh, I'm thinking about buying this property, is this a good one? What I love to see is a general residential zone and no overlays. Um, yes. which basically means it's, it's pretty much as relaxed as you're going to get it. Yeah. Are there any key requirements that could easily be missed by just looking at the planning scheme? Yeah, definitely. So each council has sort of individual strategic documents that they've prepared in the background. Um, depending on yeah. what stage these documents are at, they can be um, considered in planning applications or it might be too early for them to be considered. Um, so it is important to keep tabs on on the stages of these documents. Um, So, for example, one that comes to mind is Mornington Peninsula has a housing strategy. Um, So what that housing strategy does is that might say, even though it's a, you know, it's a really big block of land and the zoning allows for it, um, you can have no more than two dwellings on this lot. Um, And so that's something Mm. that is very easy to miss. Yes, so it's definitely worthwhile having a town planner on your side. It is, yeah, just because we um we obviously, like I said, we keep tabs on, on all of this stuff with the different councils and, and we've also been there and done that and, yeah, we have all the experience. Yeah. 
Definitely. Um, so do you want to explain some of the other individual council regulations that may crop up? Yeah, definitely. So um, there's strategic documents, um, like I just mentioned. Um, other strategic documents can also include um, precinct structure plans. So those might be, the, mm-hmm. for example, the specific Clayton precinct, and that might be what uh, what Monash Council is looking for in that specific area. Um, as well as yes. that, there's lots of local laws and local policies. So the um, the local policy is outlined in the planning scheme, and that is really, really important to have a look at. And then there's also additional mm-hmm. local laws that could have impact. So, for example, one that comes to mind is Kingston Council has local laws as it relates to trees. Um, and that means yeah. that there's different sort of authorities about who can approve the removal of trees. Um, so we were trying to remove one tree on a site before, and that actually went to a councillor in the end. Um, whereas, yeah, whereas most councils, it, it wouldn't go like that. Um, but they definitely all have their little individual sort of quirks and, and things they like and things they don't like. Um, so following on with the tree theme, um, for example, White Horse Council, um, if you see a site with lots of trees, you probably wouldn't bother. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So what are some of the unforeseeable issues that new developers need to understand before buying a block of land for development? One thing I would say is potentially um, just how many external consultant reports council can ask for. Um, And it's very hard to know what they're going to ask for until they refer the application to all their individual departments as well. So you might speak to council um, earlier on and they say, yep, so what we'll need is a town planning report, architectural drawings, an arborist report. Um, And that's that's great. Um, And you submit all of that and then they come back and say, okay, now we actually want a traffic report and a waste report and a sustainability report. And and the bigger the development, the more this is. Um, yeah. And we want this kind of engineering. And then, and then the results of one report indicates that they should get another report. And then, so it, I'd say mm. it's, um, it's the amount of consultants you need to engage um, that can be sometimes be hard to predict. Yes, that sounds uh, overwhelming. It can be. I think for a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> Now we're going to have a short break and come back with more from Chelsea Cox from Smart Planning and Design, where we will talk about the issues that could happen during the planning and construction of a development. You're listening to Real Estate Right, and we are talking to the lovely Chelsea Cox from Smart Planning and Design about understanding town planning for the first time developer. So, Chelsea, what do you need to consider during the planning stages of a development to pass council regulations? Yeah, good question. Um, so I'd say the, the first thing you want to do is um, draw up a concept sketch and take that to council. I think this is really important yeah. as they'll often flag immediate issues. Um, so you want to do as much pre-application work as you can. Um, like I've said, there is the danger that, um, you know, you meet with one planner at the pre-app stage and it's assigned to a different planner who changes their mind. Um, but overall, I still think it's um, it's very beneficial. Yeah. And with this concept plan, what you need to do then is you need to do a preliminary assessment of that against the planning scheme. Mm-hmm. That way, if you have designed something that doesn't meet as many requirements as possible, you'll know early, you'll know before you've invested the money and the time into a full set of plans and, and you've had other consultants such as an, um, a traffic engineer assess the layout that you've got and all of that. Um, so that's the first step, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then in the application phase, um, 
if you've put in a development that largely meets most of the planning requirements, um, it'll definitely help your cause. But I think a lot of it is knowing that with the councils, it is a bit of give and take. So Mm. if they raise 10 issues with you, 10 things they don't like about your development, Mm. you don't necessarily have to fix all 10 of those. But if you're willing to make some steps to meet them in the middle on issues that are very important to them, they'll likely be willing to let some of the other things slide. Yeah. Like I've seen some houses which I just think, oh, my God, I can't believe council made you do that. And a lot of these first-time developers that I see, that's their language. You know, council made me put, for instance, a skylight in a main bedroom because there wasn't enough natural light or um, they can only have a carport instead of a garage, which can be altered after the um, certificate of occupancy has been uh, granted. But it's still, for some developers, they only say, oh, no, I've got a carport. It's devalued my property already. Yeah. I guess some first-time developers would probably say, look, whatever council says stays and that's it, where do you recommend that maybe they should have a conversation and say, look, you know, any chance, for instance, I can move that skylight from the main bedroom to maybe the inside the wardrobe or something like that, you know, just to have something which is a bit more um, functional than yeah. an eyesore? You- it's, um, it's always worth the conversation, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, and, I mean, the the council, they're, they're – humans as well you know if you you speak to them and and you sort of you explain your reasoning for it um they're willing to have the conversation and I think what's important is to go back to them with potential solutions like you Mm. said because I think where they get frustrated is when people say oh it's not fair I don't want to do it but they don't have any other ideas Mm. um at the end of the day it's not the council's job to to design the thing um although it would be nice if they offered some some things that they would like to see sometimes um bit of (laughs) um but, yeah, so I think at the end of the day, if you can go back to them with solutions, mm. um, it, it can be really good. But I think one of the way to avoid things like that and potentially more with the carport than it is with um, the skylight is it's really important to look at what's approved in the area. Mm. Um, so a reason we've had to change from garages to carports before is mainly because of the location of the car parking structure. So mm. Council will say, you know, we really don't like car parking structures in the front setback. That doesn't meet our neighbourhood character guidelines. Um, Fix it. And so a solution then can sometimes be to tuck a carport behind where a garage won't fit. And I do find that one really frustrating because I know if I was buying a house, I would much rather have a double garage than a a single carport. Yes. Um, But, yeah, I think definitely speaking to council um, as early as you can and providing as many solutions as you can Mm. um, definitely goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah, I think think that's probably the key to the the whole um, argument there, isn't it? Now, Mm -hmm. as you said with trees before, like I've seen one council approve an additional crossover for a side-by-side development, then decide that the nature strip tree was too close to the new crossover. And then the developer had to pay for the removal of the tree and replace the tree in a position one metre to the north of the of the crossover. Now, he said that's fine and he got himself a quote for $800 to do the job. Council said, no, that's our land. We have had that tree valued at $4,000 plus our tree loppers will charge $2,000 and you'll need to replace the tree to the size and type we require 
And with all those additional costs and paperwork, it was around $8,000. So all of a sudden, it's 10 times more than what he expected to pay. And I was actually at the property at the time when all this happened. And I was at the property for 20 minutes. The tree loppers came, took the tree away and replaced the new tree within 20 minutes. And he go, and the developers just gobsmacked saying, oh, my God, that just cost me $8,000 to do that. Yeah. It's insane. It so It's insane, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was Bayside Council, so yes. Yeah. Obviously, these things can happen during the building stages of the development. Yeah. Have you seen other situations where the at the building stage, councils come and said, hmm, don't like how that's worked out. We need to change that. We have occasionally. Um, we don't yeah. see it happen too often. Um, but sometimes what we've done before with clients to avoid situations like that is you can actually lodge a secondary consent application. And what that is, is that's basically a minor amendment to your permit. So in that instance, I'm sure if that was possible, it would have been tried. Um, but we've done uh, we've done ones before where the secondary consent is to move the driveway slightly for whatever reason. Um, we did one before because council thought that it was too close to the power pole, which was, um, yes. yes. So what we did is we did a secondary consent application to the permit um, to move that driveway. Um, it's a minor amendment because it doesn't impact any of the permit conditions. You're not putting an additional story on or additional height or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. So we do do those secondary consent um, permits. Um, and that goes even if it's not council's request, but even if our client comes to us and said, you know, on thinking about it, I'd actually really rather have, you know, a big window here or something like that. Um, mm. We'll put in those applications. And we generally find they run quite smoothly because it's only a minor amendment. Um, yeah. And it can be sometimes be a good way to sort of, yeah, you can still negotiate at that stage. So to negotiate with council, okay, how about instead of um, needing to replace the tree, I'll move my driveway or something like that. Yeah. 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 Yes. So, yeah, it can be avoided if needed be. Overall, how else can a town planner help you through the council process? As we now know that you aren't there just for your pretty looks and producing the occasional town planning report, what else can you do? <laughs> Well, that is a great question because I think a lot of people don't sort of understand the full role of a town planner. So, yes, we prepare the town planning reports, but I think our value really comes in where we manage the application. Um, So that is managing all the external consultants, um, like I mentioned before, um, Mm -hmm. and even just our conversations and our experience with council as well. So we have those early discussions. We make those early negotiations, which removes as much risk from the application as possible. Um, Mm. You obviously can't guarantee that, um, you know, council, like I said, it's usually when the planner changes um, that they're not going to have a different opinion. Um, But we have as many of those conversations as we can. And we always try to get things in sort of an agreed written chain um, just so that we've got confirmation of what council has said and they have agreed to. Um, And so it's really, yeah, it's really our experience with council and even our expertise with all those little local policies and, and little strategies that are being prepared outside of the planning scheme. It's it's so easy to miss those things. So I think having a town planner on your side, looking out for all those things for you, um, I really think it makes all the difference. Sounds good. Now, thanks so much, Chelsea, for coming onto Real Estate Right today. Do you have any special offers for Real Estate Right listeners who may want to start their development journey? We definitely do. So one thing we love to do is do due diligence sites for our clients. So that will often be if um, we have a client who's looking at purchasing a property, 
They're not sure which property they want to buy. They're looking at about three or four and they want to know what's going to give them the best ROI. So what we'll do is we'll do a free due diligence report for that. That'll assess the zones, overlays, local policies, any external documents, and it also includes a phone call to council to discuss initial risks as well. Um, We're very happy to do those on multiple sites for for a person um, as we obviously want them to make the best choice before they purchase the site. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Now, how can listeners get in contact with you? Great. Um, so you can get in contact me via with me via email is probably the best way. Um, so I think, um, so you've said you'll be able to put my email address in the show notes? Yes, but yes. yeah, just roll it out anyway. Just yes, in, yeah. awesome. Um, so it's Chelsea, spelt a little bit funny. It's uh, C-H-E-L-C-I-C at smartplanninganddesign.com. And that's one big long word, smart planning and design. Beautiful. Um, and do you have a phone number? I do. My mobile number is 0410-405-792. Beautiful. And do you do any social medias or not? I do, yes. Um, so we've obviously got our company website um, and then um, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, so smartplanninganddesign.com.au? Yes. Yeah. All good. So thanks again, Chelsea. We will have your details in our show notes and through our social media. So next week we have the amazing Ash Martin from Ash Martin Realty on to talk to us about making a great first impression from the front gate. It's a great episode for those keen to get their property on the market for spring, so don't miss it. Real Estate Right is a real copyright production hosted and produced by me, Sue Langada. I would like to thank Podbean for hosting our podcast, Premium Beat for our theme music and Francis Morello for his voiceover. Real Copyright is a leading real estate copywriting service throughout Melbourne. If you would like your property copywritten by Real Copyright, please book your copy through orders at realcopyright.com.au. If you would like us to help create more valuable real estate information for the people of Melbourne in this podcast, contact sue at realestateright.com.au. Thanks for listening to Real Estate Right.